Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. I'm here with a really interesting guest today, Laura Sussman. It might be a little surprising as to why we're here and what we're going to talk about, but certainly been influenced quite a bit by Laura. Laura is the owner of Kraft Sussman Funeral and Cremation Services. Laura is a licensed funeral director and an insurance producer. You know, I've uh, grown up here in Las Vegas and grown up in the Jewish community. I've always known you, Laura, as the head of the JCC, the Jewish Community Center. Right. We could talk about your history with uh, nonprofits. And even now, uh, how uh, involved you are on pretty much every Jewish board and other boards possible. I try to stay involved. Yep. And you do a great job at it. So thank you for being here. And let's start out. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Okay. Well, as you said, my name is Laura Sussman, and I uh, am my partner, Wendy Kraft, started Kraft Sussman Funeral and Cremation Services almost 10 years ago now. Uh, we started from scratch with nothing it, during a really tough financial time, and everybody said there's no way it's going to happen, but uh, we've been here 10 years, and we keep growing, and we're really thrilled and honored that we're able to care for as many people as we do. Um, I've moved here from Ohio about 22 years ago, and you're right, I uh, met most people I know in the community through the Jewish Community Centers, where I was the executive director for a number of years, then went on to be executive director of a synagogue and uh, before we started this. So I spent about 30 years in nonprofits um, doing programming and administrative uh, executive work there, and um, I really am a nonprofit exec at heart, so we operate our place a lot differently than a lot of the corporate funeral homes in town, which uh, we're one of the few family-owned. Okay. I'm really curious about what you do day-to-day. I'm, I'm even more curious about how and when you decided to get into the funeral business, and, and we'll get into that, but I want to s- jump right in and ask you uh, what one thing or event has been the single most influential in your life that shaped you the most? Well, I had a feeling you were going to ask that, so I actually have two things. Sorry. Okay. Um, the one thing that really shaped who I am and uh, my work ethic, and, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, and there's sort of a difference in um, culture there. But when we were kids, my grandparents had a farm, and every day, you know, spring through fall, after school or all day in summer, we would go over there and we would work. We'd plant vegetables and we'd pick weeds and we'd get like a nickel for, uh, you know, an acre of picking weeds out. And I think... um, That's great that you got paid. Yeah, we were really thrilled. The best was when we get to work at the farm stand, you know, and uh, we'd just sit there and relax. But What do you do at the farm stand? We'd sell produce. So it is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they you don't see many of those now. But mm-hmm. this actually was in Cleveland, and um, right now it's it's in Pepper Pike, which is a nice uh, suburb of Cleveland. But back then it was just farmland, uh, with horses and fields, and um, we just my siblings and I we we were really great at working hard and enjoying it and doing the best we could, and and I've carried that you know with me throughout my life to try to treat people fairly and uh, do a good job and and just be, you know, honored to help people. Um, As far as getting into the funeral industry. Well, you said there were two things that influenced you. So this is the the second second thing, yeah. Got it. As part of my volunteer experience, I was involved in the Hever Kedisha, which is the Jewish Burial Society. So what what is, say that again and then explain the what that Hevra, is. It's the Hevra C H E V R A Kadisha K A D I S H A, and it's a group of volunteers for the most part um, that go into a funeral home and help prepare a Jewish body for burial. 
Uh, there's rituals that we do um, that are mostly water-based. You know, you come into the world through water and we go out through water through this ritual. Uh, we say prayers and psalms and dress the body in a shroud. And it's a beautiful spiritual experience. And What caused you to even want to volunteer with the Chevre? I heard about it and they needed people. This is here in Las here Vegas Here in Las now? Vegas, yeah. Wendy Kraft, my mm -hmm. partner, and a couple of other women actually helped start it for the conservative and reform movements here in town because there's always been a, an Orthodox Hever Kedisha, but um, there were other people that wanted to experience it and didn't have a connection with the Orthodox uh, synagogues here in town. Mm -hmm. So we started one for the conservative and reform movements. And I got in sort of a couple months after they started it uh, we actually even hosted one of the annual conferences here in Las Vegas. Uh, it's it's really a wonderful group of people that volunteer to to take care of the de deceased, and it's it's one of those mitzvot, those um, acts that you can never be thanked for, you know, by the person, but mm -hmm. you get so much out of it. And we really built a a strong, loving, supportive community of people that would just basically drop everything when needed to come into a funeral home and take care of people. So um, for those that don't know, what is a mitzvah? Uh, a mitzvah is a commandment. Um, most of the time people think of it as good deeds, but it's just things that we're supposed to do to make the world a better place. When you say it like that, it's a level, of not, not maybe one level, but levels above just a good deed. Well, there's commanded. all different times of, yeah, I'm in the Bible, uh -huh. you know, in the Torah, there's commandments, uh, 613 of them. Uh, I'm not a biblical scholar, but, uh, you know, the concept is to do as many of them as you can. So in the same uh, realm as keeping kosher or keeping Shabbat, um, taking care of the dead is one of the things that we're supposed to do. And, and probably one that's more overlooked. Or just Definitely. Yeah, most people, you know, when they think of death, they think of the funeral home taking care of everything. Mm -hmm. But um, in the, you know, prior to funeral homes, which didn't happen till like Civil War times, the bodies were taken care of at home. And even, you know, recently, 50, 60 years ago, the bodies were taken care of at home. And then you'd have the undertaker that would come pick up the body, place it in a casket and uh, go to the cemetery. Mm. We actually have um, worked with families that want to do home funerals, not in the Jewish community, but in, in other uh, religious communities here in town, to try to let people know that they can do as much or as little to care for their loved one as they want. They don't have to just give all of the responsibility to a funeral home. We've had people that have come in and uh, bathe their loved one or dress them uh, not in a religious way, um, but just in a caring way. And that's proved to be a really spiritual event that they take with them throughout their life, something that they could never repeat, and mm -hmm. just the final way to take care of somebody that they really cared for. It seems like there's no greater closure than that. It's unbelievable, yeah. So go back to you started volunteering. Oh, so I started volunteering with the Hever Kedisha, and... Wendy Kraft, the other half of Kraft Sussman, worked for one of the other funeral homes in town. Most of the funeral homes are corporate-owned, so people are paid based on commission and bonuses, and uh, she didn't like that. She got into funeral service because of a death of a, a newborn um, and wanted to help people. You know, How, and say, say that again? She had a child that was uh, stillborn, and she had gotten involved in support groups and then started speaking in support groups and found that she felt very comfortable in death care and got into funeral service. Hmm. Well, we wanted to create something that was different than what was available, something where people are not being pressured to buy. You know, none of our staff work on commission or bonuses. It's, you know, people are paid a fair salary and we encourage them to just take care of the families, find out what they want and what they need, and, and help them create something meaningful. And uh, it's it's a lot, um, it's a much different environment because there's not that pressure to sell. 
I was in nonprofits for mm-hmm. 30 years, and I bring a lot of that to this, you know, this kind of career is, change. Is Kraft Sussman a non nonprofit? We laugh about it. Sometimes it feels like <laughs> it, but uh, <laughs> we never turn anyone away. But we do. You know, we have to make a living, and we have to support the staff that are there and the uh, overhead. But we do charge a lot less than some of the corporates. You know, we, we want to try to be as fair as possible. And we're really upfront, and um, we don't try to hide anything. You know, we really we give people options and let them choose what's right for them. So how big is your organization? It's relatively small. I mean, we're locally owned. It's Wendy and myself, and uh, we have six full-time staff and a couple of part-time people that help out when needed. Uh, so it's real personal. We provide a continuity of care versus some of the other places where they're so large that they have people that just do arrangements or they just do pre-need or they just order so what death are those certificates. You're using these terms like uh, continuity uh, of care and arrangements and pre-need. What is? Let me. So before you answer that and go into it, you said something earlier about you know when people think about death, and you were talking about that in the context of mitzvot and commandments and all that. But do people really think about death? My sense is that few do and few plan for it. And then I you get into this, you get into this, um, call it situation where you lose somebody and there you go. I don't know what arrangements are. I don't know what continuity of care is. I don't know what any of that is. I've never thought about it. No one's ever told me to think about this, but here I am and I have to deal with it. Right. Well, it's good we're talking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> It's so frustrating for me, and I. The, the truth is, I never thought about this before I got into this, because um, uh, most people don't. Right. I mean, I I was very fortunate that my grandparents lived to old age, and when I was living in Cleveland, I never experienced a death in my family, so I never All thought that about healthy it. farm food. That's right, and work, right? But uh, I go out and speak all over the community. I speak to social workers. We do continuing ed for nurses and social workers. We speak to religious groups. We speak to community groups. And people can't stop asking questions. Like, we'll do our spiel. You know, I have a 50-minute program. And usually it's an hour and a half before, you know, we can break up because people never have had a chance to ask all the questions they've been thinking about. Like Uh, what? Like, um, do I need to be embalmed? I have, you know, I have plots in New York, and uh, how do I get back there? Um, what do I need to know if I want to get veterans benefits? Um, what do I do with my child who's disabled? You know, there's, there's just every little thing. Do I need a casket? Do I need to be dressed a certain way? Do, you know, is cremation okay in certain religions? Um, a lot of people, they just... They know what they hear, Mm -hmm. but they don't always know what the the truth is. And the the Federal Trade Commission regulates funeral homes, but most people don't know the laws and regulations, and they don't need to, but they shouldn't have to believe some of the fallacies that they may be told by other people. It's, It's not funny, but it's funny that we, you know, in real estate, commercial real estate, you have a client that'll lease a space, every three to five years or we'll buy a building every you know five to ten years and if you if you're good and you keep going with your clients that's the amount of times that uh, you take them through a transaction with your clients it's one and done one right but interestingly we we get a lot of families that even in a short time you know we've taken we've been open almost 10 years there's some families we've taken care of three or four of their family Mm -hmm. members already so what is continuity of care? Let's go back to that. Okay, what so that continuity mean? of care means that when you make a call to our office, the person that you speak with will probably be the same person that you work with throughout the whole process. So mm. getting, giving you initial information, getting information that we need for a death certificate, filing the permits, being there at the service, coordinating whatever is needed for the service as far as memorial folders or books or anything the cast why is that important the continuity of care well because you develop a a relationship with us it's it's about the relationship we want to make sure that the people that we're working with feel that they're 
they have somebody they can trust, somebody they can believe, and somebody they're comfortable with. And in, if they're meeting with a different person each time they come into the office or at every step in the process, they have to redevelop that level of trust and comfort. And they're already going through a difficult mm. time. We want to make it as comfortable as possible. So one question that came to mind is like, what is the typical, can you describe the typical mindset of a person who's going through this? It's, there's nothing that's really typical. There are people that come in and um, if it's a long illness are relieved that the person is not in pain anymore. And um, sometimes people want to get it over with. They want to just do whatever is quickest. Mm. Some people want to do a big celebration of life People come from all different cultural and religious backgrounds, uh, so there's a lot of impact, especially in Las Vegas. There are a lot of people that have no community. They don't have any family here. They don't have any friends. They've, especially if they've been a caregiver, they've devoted their whole life to taking care of this person and haven't met anybody else in the community. And uh, we have to try to connect them. We have to try to make sure that, in addition to us providing our service to take care of their loved one, to try to offer them some support services in the community so that they don't feel alone. Uh, it, that's one of the saddest things is when we've done a service and then we know that that person's going home to be alone. Mm -hmm. How many different religions do you guys cater to? I know so with Judaism, there's Orthodox, conservative, reform. Even in the Orthodox community, there's, there are different rabbis with different customs. Right. And you have to know all of that. Yeah. And then what right. about outside of the Jewish religion? So we do about um, a little more than half of our burials, our services are people who are Jewish. Um, but then the rest is everything, Catholic, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Muslim. We, we work with everyone. Uh, and it's been a wonderful experience, uh, learning all the different religions, the different customs, traditions, there's so many similarities, obviously, with a lot of the religions, Muslim and Jewish. Wait, there's similarities? They're almost identical. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, Is that ironic? It, be considering all the stuff well, you hear about the, the Middle East conflicts. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. But, um, I mean, we all started from the same place, right? So the traditions carry down. Just at some point, there was a split in ideology. Mm -hmm but I won't go there. Um, but, you know, as far as going back to what happens at the end of life, it's um, an identical tradition, you know, with the shroud and the, uh, something like a tahara mm -hmm. where there's, uh, the tahara is the ritual bathing and dressing that what the Hever Kedisha does. And there's a, say, a group within the Muslim community that does that. Um, they, the tradition is to bury without a casket as Jews do in Israel. We've done some here in, in And Las what's the Vegas. meaning behind the no casket? The idea is to keep the um, burial as simple and um, natural as possible. So Jewish and Muslim burials were the original green burials that you may hear about, <laughs> right? Uh, the, they've been going back 5,000 years. So you have the uh, pre-funeral stuff that sounds like you're describing a lot of with the death certificate and all the official things and the, the burial. Let's talk about the funerals and okay. the different types of funerals. Like, take me through what are the elements of a funeral? So a lot of it depends on the religious cultural background, but uh, traditionally there would be some type of clergy that's present uh, coordinating with the clergy to make sure they're available if there's an in-ground burial. So you, you can do a funeral service regardless of if the person's being buried or cremated. And um, finding the location that you want to have the service, who's going to officiate, what people are going to speak, who's going to share memories, or there, is there going to be any music or any video, what kind of handouts, memorial folders do you want, we just did a service yesterday, and the woman was a wonderful cook. She always entertained by cooking, and the family made a beautiful little cookbook to hand out to all the guests as they left. You know, is there a way we can make it special and meaningful? Is there anything that 
um, any particular family member or friend wants to do, in addition to speaking, is there a song they want to sing, um, a poem they want to read, something that they can do to make it special. Uh, we've had a, a children's service where the family wanted to m create a some entertainment for the young children that were present. And we went to a park with a casket. Uh, they had a face painter and a balloon person, and we had markers, mm. and everybody could draw a picture, write a message on the casket. And Sounds like more like a kid's birthday than a funeral. Well, the child didn't have many birthdays, and uh, the family wanted and to create something. that's how they something. wanted to, s to celebrate that. Right. So it was, it was not typical, but it was really meaningful, and that's what it's about you know, creating something that's meaningful for you. So is this what it's like in the conversations with the family where you ask all these questions and help them find the answers? Yeah, we try to get a feel for what their needs are. You know, how traditional do they want to go? Most people nowadays, as you probably know, do not affiliate with a religion. The majority of people are would consider themselves maybe... Um, Jewish or Christian, but they don't affiliate, and they don't necessarily want religion to be part of the service. So there's a whole void there that needs to be filled up with other types of tradition. And we offer people the opportunity to create a new tradition for their family. What would honor that person the best way? You know, something that is is traditional where people come in in suits or where people wear Hawaiian shirts, you know, uh, when there is there a mariachi band that should be coming in or, you are know, these hypotheticals or are these real. Oh, these have happened. Yeah. So what makes a great funeral? How many funerals do you go to a year? We work with about 450 families a year. So not all of them do funerals. So a that's lot. more than one a day. Um, yeah. But not wow. everybody does a funeral. Um, most people in Las Vegas are cremated. We're approaching about 80%. We're one of the highest rates in the country. Wow. So even traditional religious groups like Catholic and Jewish have a very high percentage of people who are being cremated. So what we need to create is something that's different than a graveside service where um, people can do something in our chapel either before the cremation, which would be a funeral with the bodies present, or a memorial service where there's nobody present, maybe an urn or, or nothing, maybe a picture or video. And um, what makes it great, I think, is where people walk away saying, that really gave me a good sense of who that person was and what, what a wonderful tribute that was to them. What's a sad funeral? What are the saddest that you go to? For me, the saddest are people who are young, young children, mothers, you know, with young children, or just when the parents are still living. The, uh, everybody has a different perspective, but for me, that's just heartbreaking. And of course, you know, when I have a situation like that, my kids are wonder why mm. I call them 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good segue into the takeaways portion of this, specific things that I've learned from you over the years. Yeah, I attend about six funerals a year, I think. I thought about that as I was preparing for this every time I'm faced with a self-reflection of my own I'm in the audience I'm hearing uh, the service and the arc of the person's life and people sharing about them and what made them unique and special so I can't help myself I reflect on my relationships sure when you yourself are at 450 maybe not funerals but you go through this 450 times a year what do you go through it's tough. There are many times when I've said, this is too hard. I, I can't do this. And uh, Wendy usually reminds me, you know, if you don't do it, they're going to go somewhere where they're, they may not care as much. You know, we, we're here so that we can provide the best possible experience for a family. And, uh, and then I go to the gym and work out <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, you know, try to do something with the kids. And I, I have... I'll tell you, when I used to work um, like 80 hours a week and I never took my vacation days and I, my kids were in childcare, I look back on that and I think, boy, I was really crazy. So now I take... When, when was that? 
that was, you know, the first 30 years of my career. But I, I reprioritized and I spend as much time as I can with my family and I, I'm a strong believer in bucket lists. <laughs> I don't do Facebook much, but uh, every so often I say another you know, another notch off my bucket list. It doesn't surprise me that you're a strong believer in bucket lists, <laughs> considering what you do every day. Yeah. Well, we actually have um, hosted a number of bucket list events. We do a number of events throughout the year uh, where we invite the community in. In addition to just speaking about you know funerals and how to plan, we we have things like a bucket list party or a death cafe. Um, death cafe. Where people come in and share their experiences on death, and it, it sounds morbid, mm -hmm. but it's uh, really interesting, and people play off each other, and it's uh, fascinating conversations. And if you're thinking of planning your own death, it's wonderful to think about. You mean like suicide or? No, 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 no. Oh. I mean like planning for when you die. Okay. So everybody should do that, and we're. You hear about pre-planning. Um, we do a lot with people coming in before they're sick, while they're healthy, to talk about what they need to do to get everything in order. People do their wills and they do their trusts, and they should take care of planning their funeral or cremation services because it's a really tough thing to leave to people who, are, who love you and just lost you and then have to do it spur of the moment. You could do it while you're comfortable and healthy and thinking mm -hmm. about options, and take care of it. You don't have to pay for it. Just sit with us and, and write it all down and know that it'll be taken care of when you need it to be. So why don't more people do this as part of their estate planning and writing wills and all that? More and more people are, but I think a lot of people think it's something they can just put off to another day. <laughs> but uh, you never know what that day is going to be. I mean, we had somebody that came in, they were 98, and they're like, well, maybe I should start <laughs> planning. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Go back to what caused you to reprioritize your life. Just seeing how short it can be. Is this, were you already? I was uh, in, the, in the funeral service industry. Already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it, just seeing... Before, I just thought I'd live forever. I, I knew I wouldn't, but I had that attitude that whatever I did, you know, I'll have time to do something in, you know, next year or next year. And you don't know that. So there's things I've always wanted to do, and uh, I've started doing them. How long into the funeral business were you before you? It took me a few years. Because Two years, three years? Um, I'd say maybe five years. Five years? Yeah. Because the first five years we work 24 seven, mm -hmm. you know, this is an industry where, and we're different than a lot of places. We take our calls 24 hours a day. So if I'm on call, if I get a call at three in the morning, you know, I, you go, I go, or I talk with the family. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time you don't have a funeral homeowner doing that, but we, we, we really work and we, we want families to know that we're accessible. So five years in, you're starting a new business, you're doing the grind 24-7, and then what happened to make you say, time out, well, I need I to finally reprioritize? Got, yeah, I finally got to the point where I knew I needed to bring in some great staff that could be there when I'm not and would have the same philosophy and the same commitment um, to work with families as Wendy and I have. And we're great. I, we, we're very fortunate that we have those people working with us. So last year I took a month off straight and uh, we had no problems. Everybody was fine. And I got to do one of the things I wanted to do forever. Which is? Um, I hiked the John Muir Trail with my daughter in California, 220 miles backpacking. Wow. Yeah. Was, was that fun. a bucket list item? Definitely. So when you prioritize or reprioritized, take me through the order. I think it was trying to make sure that, well, first of all, I had to get to the mindset as a business owner that we could afford to have top-notch staff. We could afford to bring in the best you know, that this community had to offer and live off of less you know, income because we were paying more mm -hmm. in salaries. So once I got to that point, 
then I had to just make sure I trusted this person uh, or these people. And, uh, and then I, it was really pretty quick that I decided, okay, we're going to take more time and do things as a family or a couple uh, or individually. Um, so it really starts with time and how are you time, using time? Time and money, right? Yeah. Um, but just reprioritizing that the money is not as important as the time. So you trade one for the other. Right. And we'll talk about legacy, I think, probably toward the end. Uh, going back to funerals and my takeaways, one of the hardest things for me and one of the things that, you know, my inner dialogue around funerals, I don't want to go. I don't know what to say. Yeah, is that, is a lot that of people. A lot of people don't know what to say. I actually have a little book at the office that um, it's specifically for Jewish funerals, but what to say to a mourner. And it's different in different religions, but the one of the worst things to say is, "Oh, they're better off now," um, which people say all the time. Why would they say that? You know, they're trying to be nice that, oh, they're, they've found a place in heaven or they're not suffering. But you have they to acknowledge it, the they loss. They said it wrong? Yeah. That shouldn't be one of the first things. I think one of the first things that you say is, you know, I'm sorry. And um, often, like in the Jewish religion, when you go to a house of shiva, a house of mourning, um, you're not supposed to be the first to speak. It's the mourner. Uh, you wait till the mourner says something. And uh, so you don't have to necessarily come up with something to say. If you know somebody close to you has passed, um, people always say, well, should I call them before, you know, this funeral? Should I even go over there? There's a lot of uh, anxiety, like, what do I do? And I think it's always nice if somebody close to you, you know, has had a loss, to go ahead and, and call them because there's that period between the death and when the service is where they're somewhat in limbo, you know, they, they're not accepting, f formally accepting, you know, visitors, but they, they still need support. And I always suggest making a call and saying you're sorry and asking if there's something specific you could do. Do you have people coming over, you know, coming into town? Is there somebody I can pick up from the airport? Do you need some dry cleaning dropped off? Do you need a meal? Um, do you need me to pick up your kids from childcare? Think of things that you might need mm -hmm. or you think they might need and offer to do that. And then you can get into a conversation if you want just to share a wonderful memory you have of the person that passed. Um, when, you, when you see somebody at a funeral, it's hard to, to have a long conversation because there's usually a line of people wanting to mm -hmm. share their condolences. And just knowing that you're there is important. Um, but... When you go back to the home or if there's some kind of um, event or gathering afterwards or you see them or speak to them, I would try to think of a wonderful memory. Or if you know of a wa the relationship they've had, say, you know, I know that your father thought you were like the greatest daughter ever. You know, something that is a positive memory I think is important. You know, sharing something about, you know, your father thought you were the greatest daughter kind of where I go with that is what if it's not true or what if you're not sincere or is it is it I feel like it'd be easy just to to drop a line like that and well I would only better, say it if it was yeah. true right um if there's S nothing nice to say just say, say you're, nothing you're at all right or you're <laughs> sorry the for their loss okay so here's what I heard uh you know the first episode of this podcast that I recorded was with a gentleman named Rick Myers and one of my takeaways from that episode is that he said it can be learned. You know, anything in life, you want to be a great public speaker, it can be learned. The first thing you need to do is, you know, go up to the microphone and find your range. Do this, do this so people can hear you. That's step one. Then go to step two. Then go to step three. And it's coming up again. And, you know, what do I say? The hardest thing for me is what do I say? And what I just heard is that it can be learned. Number one, acknowledge the loss. Right. As cliche as it is, I'm sorry for your loss. That's another thing where just saying that, I feel like everyone's saying that. So, you it's know, it's interesting. Uh, let me tell you, though, we um, we get calls from people and, and in Vegas, people price shop for funeral services. So they'll call three or four different uh, mortuaries and 
often they'll say to us, we came to you because your staff was the only one that acknowledged our loss. They're calling funeral homes and they don't even say, I'm sorry for your loss. So it, it, you can't assume that everybody does that. And I mean, hopefully you're there because you are sorry for their loss. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if everyone does it or not, that's the first thing. Right. The second thing offer something specific that you can help with. Yep. And then number three, share a story or a memory. Perfect. Okay. Learning so much today. You already talked about the wrong things to say. That was my, my follow up. I was talking to a friend of mine whose wife had cancer and he was sharing with us like the things you don't say like, oh, you know, God picked you for this because you're strong and you'll get through it and you can show us how right. to get through it. I can't imagine all the things that people just foot and mouth at a funeral at these times as far as what not to say. Going back to the Shiva and the, the customs, why wouldn't you be the first to speak? I, I don't know the um, why the rabbis said that originally. I would imagine it's because the mourner may not be ready to engage in conversation. And um, if you start it, it may make them uncomfortable. So what do you do? Sit there. Hold a hand if you're close, you know. Just, just be there. Um, there's the tradition that we do. Um, we have a minion, you know, so we can say prayers. If they don't have enough people, they can't say you know, certain prayers. So being there is really important. So talk more about minion and prayers. Which prayers can you say or can you not say? Well, traditionally, um, there's you do a afternoon or evening service in the minion. A minion um, traditionally means 10 men, uh, but uh, reform conservative movements, it's 10 people that uh, you would have a... Um, say prayers during the first seven days at the home. So a congregation of people for prayer. That's right. Thank you. Okay, and then so the first seven days so is seven the days morning period. Right, so that's Shiva. Uh, Shiva is tr- seven in Hebrew. Um, the mourner stays home and is um, not obligated to do any of the traditional requirements, mitzvot, um, that they may be required to do during other times. They don't go to work. They don't shave. Um, people come and support them. It's a time when the community is support supposed to support the mourners. And um, there's a uh, prayer, a Kaddish prayer, which is a prayer for the dead that is said during that time. And then also on the anniversary of the death, which is what's considered a yard site. And that's um, the the Jewish anniversary of the death. And then there's a couple of times during the year where people say yard site as well. So there's even a step-by-step, just like what do you say, you know, acknowledge a loss, offer specific help, share a story. There's a way to mourn in the Jewish religion. That's right. So there's different levels of mourning. Um, And it's interesting because... The t- period between death and the burial is not considered a period of mourning. That's a time when people get things organized mm-hmm. and put things together. And then uh, the period of mourning starts at the burial and traditionally would continue for seven days uh, when the community is supposed to, supposed to support the mourner. And then after the seven days, uh, traditionally, you'd take a walk around the block, and your morning, your your official morning is over. And then there's 30 days where you're exempt from, or you should refrain from doing other things. Um, you like can, you celebrating, can s- like celebrating, going to concerts and mm-hmm. music, and and then after a year, you should get back to all all activities. After a year, a year, well, uh, a Jewish year, which is. It's the yard oh, site, okay. the anniversary. It, so it, after it, a year, it, you it, should go it. back fully into a I life. See. And obviously, it's going to be a different kind of... You're, you're, it's going to be a new normal because you're mm-hmm. not going to have that person. But but Judaism does give you that 7, 30, 12-month time frame to sort of acclimate to life without that person. And you go from a m- more intense to a medium grade to a lighter type of mourning in that's that correct. 7 30 12 months right let's talk about legacy i imagine you are faced with this quite a bit people wanting to leave a legacy or uh, at the funeral people talking about a legacy that was left yep 
What's your take on legacy? I think when people can get up and share at a service or at a gathering the way they were touched by an individual, uh, that's the greatest legacy. When their kids and grandkids and friends have the best memories of this person. We had a service last week, and I said to the family afterwards, it was one of the most heartwarming services I'd seen, where I knew that this person who passed had touched the lives of so many people in such an intense way. Did Be you know the person when they were alive? I knew them a little bit, just through Temple. Uh, and I knew one of the kids, um, who's about my age, you know, a little bit. But I had no sense of how giving and caring this person was. And um, when people, everyone in the audience basically stood up and shared a story. And it went on for quite a while, but every one of them was so touching. And it basically changed their lives where people had been homeless or been you know, thrown out as a kid or weren't accepted as their parents. And this, this couple, this husband and wife, took them in and made them feel special. And I don't think there's anything, you know, you can save a lot of money and for your kids and create a business and create an empire, but... There's a theme here. If Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 it's, you know, for me, it's, yeah. it's, about, it's about the relationships and the people and, and... And more just for you. I mean, it's, you talked about leaving a legacy and you get to really feel and see what kind of person a person was uh, through the eyes and the stories and the memories of the people they left behind and what they're sharing about that person. Right. So when should someone start leaving their legacy? Today. Now. How, though? I mean, it took you time to shift your mindset and your business to reprioritize <coughs> Uh, so how can anyone listening to this, if they're, you know, 30 years old, just, you know, gearing up in their career, sitting in a cubicle, working 80 hours a week, or someone who's 60 years old and can't figure out how to wind down? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's tough when you're starting your career and you're, you've got like a lot of priorities and, you know, you worry about paying the next bill. Um, I would start with something simple like the concept of paying it forward. You know, just find something that interests you or a way that you think you can make the world a better place and just do a random act of kindness. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, somebody needs a little change in line in front of you, helping somebody open a door or walk from a car to a door. Or, you know, just looking around, there's a lot of need in this community. Um, probably in your own family, and how can you make someone's life a little better? You do one thing, and you do another thing, and eventually that becomes habit. And then for someone who they've got all the money, but they just can't get off the, the hamster wheel, what should they do? Sometimes it just really takes a significant event in their life, you know, losing someone. Um, there's therapy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I don't think it would be different for them than it would be for somebody that doesn't have those resources. It's just you have to act in a kind way, and um, you just put one foot in front of the other and one little kind act in front of another. And, and um, I know in the Jewish religion they say that your actions are more important than your words, and um, I think actions are more important than your wealth as well. And just doing doing something that... Um, takes you maybe out of your comfort zone, but um, hopefully br brings you a lot of comfort where you're doing something for someone else besides yourself. One step at a time. Action is more important than wealth. I like that one. Um, you know, I want to talk about a couple more things, and I think you want to mention something also. But kind of at the very end, the eulogy, or if someone's ever asked to uh, give a eulogy. Mm -hmm. What are the elements of a eulogy? What should someone say in a eulogy? Good question. So I would keep it succinct. I always tell people to write it down. Um, some people are great speakers, but most people aren't. 
uh, and you want to make sure that mm -hmm. whatever you're sharing gets the point across and people aren't distracted by you going off on tangents or the length of what you're saying. I would try to get the, the soul of the person into what you're saying. So try to get the essence of the person in a story. Share. That's a big task. It is. How do you do that? Well, you're probably asked to speak because you know that person better than a lot of other people. So you've probably had experiences that uh, if you can pick one or two out and share them. You don't necessarily have to go over the whole life because people will read that in an obituary. Uh, or the clergy might do that in what they're saying. But you want to share some kind of touching uh, event that will give people an idea of who this person was that may not have had the relationship you had with them. So um, a special moment that you shared, a story of uh, a vacation you had, um, something you saw them do that showed that they were you know, a great person. There's a joke, I don't remember it really well, but it's something like if there was never anything nice to say, you say the wrong person died. <laughs> but uh, no, there's usually something nice to say about everyone. But I wouldn't lie because people know. Yeah. You know. Uh, what did you want to talk about that you have here? Oh, so um, Kraft Sussman actually just um, partnered with a group called Vital Ice, V-I-T-A-L-I-C-E. And it's a life-saving app that you can put on your phone. Um, and uh, we have a code you can use, uh, so there's no charge. But you can, we partnered with the EMS. It actually won the EMS um, App Award of the Year last year, um, the Emergency Medical Response System. And um, you can put in basically all of your information, your prescriptions, your emergency contacts, your allergies, um, any you know contacts that you needed, and uh, if something happens to you, the uh, emergency personnel can get into that app and get a lot of information about mm. you if you can't speak for yourself. And it's a free thing. It's an initiative that we're doing in the area. Uh, we're the only funeral home that is, and we're just trying to help people be prepared um, so hopefully they don't come to us. What's it called again? It's called Vital Ice, V-I-T-A-L-I-C-E. And um, the download code, if they want to write it down, is 8624. And it's a great thing to have on your phone. I put it on mine, and it's, it's really wonderful. Things I never would have thought of keeping on me, but uh, if I am in an emergency, it's good to know. So thank you for that. And we talked about a lot. Like usual, I go in with some takeaways. I come out with even more. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to go back and highlight well we did touch a little bit about planning um, and I would like to emphasize that it's something that everybody should do everybody should think about what they want to happen to their body after they pass away and how do they want to be remembered um, we're always happy and honored to meet with people uh, there's no charge just to talk about what options they have but more importantly they should talk to their family and and write it down uh, people can always prepay for it. Uh, that's a whole other segment, but um, everybody should should think about it and uh, and share it with others. Don't just keep it in your your mind because you're not going to have to deal with it when you die. You're the people you love will, and to m try to make it easier for them, uh, take care of as much of it as you can. So it's a good dovetail into how I want to end. I want to share with you a story and what Kraft Sussman means to me, or has meant to me. You know, beyond, uh, I was reintroduced to you a few years ago from our good friend, Alan Sklar, when he told me that you're looking for a building for a craft Sussman and we helped right. you find your building. And then a few years later, I wouldn't have known. I didn't plan. Um, I was in shock. I was many things probably. My mother passed away. Right. I was in the hospital. And I don't know how much time had passed from when she had passed away to my family coming down there and everyone saying their goodbyes and... And then the nurse pulling me to the side and asking me, well, what do you want to do with the body? Right. And it took me a while to get my words out. And she said, what? After I said it, and I said it again, and she couldn't understand me. And finally, I had to take out my phone and type in Kraft Sussman and, say, and showed it to her and said, this, call them. 
And it was, for me, the first step from going from hopelessness to healing, where I had something to say, and I was able to take back some control that was taken with that loss. Never would have thought about it, but I was so grateful to, to be able to, to tell the nurse this is where I wanted to go. Mm, thank you. And then the next part of that, my brother's Orthodox, Orthodox Jew, so he does um, not celebrate. He keeps the Sabbath. So it was Friday night. We couldn't reach him. His phone was off. And so the next day is Saturday where all the questions come. Right. What I don't know what to do. I don't know how to prepare. Uh, in, in the Jewish religion, the, the burial, ha- burial happens very quickly as soon as possible. And I had a lot of questions. I still can't reach my brother. Like you said, ask your family. It's more important to the family what to do. So it was going to be more important to him how we have a funeral, what kind of service it's going to be, who the rabbi will be, less important to my sister and I. Yet it was on us to, to figure it out when we couldn't reach him. And thankfully we had you the next morning, pretty early, yep. and you asked who's the rabbi, and I told you, and he said, okay, this is how, what kind of service and what kind of customs and what your brother would want and what would be meaningful for him. And I think it was even that night you were at our house. Mm-hmm. It was pretty quick. So that night, you're at our house. We went into the little library, me, you, my brother, my sister. All the kids sister, were around, yeah. I remember. And you did what you did earlier, which is you started asking us questions that we need to think about for what to do next. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for coming on. I've got more takeaways. Obviously, you know, what to say at a funeral. It can be learned. First, acknowledge the loss. Uh, How important it is to reprioritize your life. And it starts with time and who you're spending it with and what you're doing. And a great way to pivot into leaving your legacy is start small. Pay it forward. Just take the first step. So I learned a lot from you. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'd love to hear from you about your takeaways from this episode. Make sure to leave your comments and leave us a review. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.